First Class Fatherhood. That is where Alec Lace comes in with his popular podcast. And one of the most interesting was on a podcast. Alec Lace interviews high-profile fathers from actors to NFL players with a vision to change the narrative of fatherhood and family life. Welcome, everybody, to episode 680 of First Class Fatherhood. I am happy, as always, to be here with you guys today. Uh, let's face it, the country was absolutely shocked by the video footage that we all saw of Tyree Nichols, the young man being beaten to death by the Memphis Police Department. Five police officers beat that guy to death. I have got the perfect guest today to break this all down and talk about it in depth. Greg Kelly joins me on the podcast today. Greg Kelly's father was the New York City Police Commissioner for a number of years, well-respected, well-liked, had a very high approval rating for his entire time while he was the Commissioner of New York City. Greg Kelly's got a brand new book out right now titled Justice for All, How the Left is Wrong About Law Enforcement. Uh, we know that there is a race game being pushed by the media, by the left. We hear it over and over again that it's racism, racism, racism. In this case, you had five black officers beating a black guy to death. Uh, yet somehow the left has found a way to make this all about race. Once again, saying it was done. Uh, racism is to blame. Uh, so we're going to break all of that down here with Greg Kelly. Greg Kelly is currently the host of a nightly news and opinion show on Newsmax. He also hosts his own podcast, The Greg Kelly Podcast. You can listen to him five days a week on WABC. He's got a radio program over there on that network. Uh, prior to being on Newsmax, Greg Kelly was the co-host of Good Day New York on Fox 5. He was there for almost a decade reporting on news, interviewing notable figures. And before Good Day New York, he was an anchor and correspondent for the Fox News Channel. He worked for Fox News in 2002. He went on to serve as the White House correspondent from 05 to 07. He also covered the war in Iraq exclusively, including four long-term assignments in Baghdad. Now, before Greg Kelly got involved in all the media stuff, the entertainment business and whatnot, he spent nine years as an attack pilot in the United States Marine Corps. He specialized in flying the AV-8B Harrier Jet. During his military service, he amassed 158 aircraft carrier landings and flew over Iraq in Operation Southern Watch, enforcing that United Nations-imposed no-fly zone. In the United States Marine Corps Reserves, he achieved the rank of lieutenant colonel. So we are going to break down all of this, what's going on with policing in America. Obviously, it's a contentious issue. If any of you dads out there have kids interested in being a police officer, listen up. Got a lot of great stuff coming your way here. I'm honored to have Greg Kelly on the podcast today to break it all down. Greg Kelly will be here with me in just a few minutes, so please stick around for the interview. And today's interview with Greg Kelly was recorded on video and is available for you guys to watch on my YouTube channel. So if you'd like to watch today's conversation between Greg Kelly and myself, please subscribe to First Class Fatherhood on YouTube. Link is in the description of today's podcast episode. All right, and we are creeping closer to what they are calling the Kelsey Bowl, Super Bowl 57. It will be the first time that two brothers are going to play against each other in the big game. So you know I had to go out and get their father to join me here on the podcast, and that is exactly what I did. Ed Kelsey is going to join me on the podcast next week. Don't miss out on that one. I can't even imagine the emotions that got to be going through your mind as a dad, knowing that your two boys are going to be playing in the Super Bowl against one another. What a crazy, incredible moment for the Kelsey family. So don't miss out on that one next week. And you guys know it, First Class Fatherhood was invited by the NFL to take part in NFL Super Bowl Media Day once again. Uh, so there'll be a lot of coverage, a lot of things coming your way on that. Make sure you follow me on Instagram at Alec underscore Lace for everything coming your way about the Super Bowl. Don't forget MyPillow 2.0. Are you kidding me? Buy one, get one free over at MyPillow.com. 
plug in that promo code FATHERHOOD. You can't beat this deal. I don't know how long it's going to go. I don't think Mike has ever done this before, uh, but get over to MyPillow.com. Use the promo code FATHERHOOD. You can get buy one, get one free. If you can, please help me spread the word about this podcast. Every father in your neighborhood or in your contact list, let them know about the show to see us celebrating fatherhood and family life. You guys know it. Every day is Father's Day right here on the podcast. And here comes my interview right now, straight up with Greg Kelly on First Class Father. Joining me now, First Class Father, Greg Kelly. Welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Alec, thank you so much for having me. Great to be here. First class, I'm working on it. You know, I'm I'm relatively new at it. I've got a one-year-old and a three-year-old, and uh, I'm learning every day, and and I hope I'm doing a good job. So far, so good. You you made it to the show here, so you got the first class father status right now. So you said you got a one and a three. What are the denominations? What do you got, boy, girl? What's the makeup there? Two girls, um, which I'm told is a – look – I'm happy. <laughs> some somebody, some people are they want two boys, a boy and a girl. Uh, this is whatever God gave me. It's a total miracle, and I love it. Yeah, very well said. We had three boys first, then we got our girl on the fourth try. So you you all done here? You shutting it down? You trying for one more? What's the story? This is everything is completely shut down. There is, <laughs> uh, I think it's an impossibility. I won't get into the details, but I think it's an impossibility that there will be. We take enough. a miracle at this point. Yes. Yeah. Uh, if you could, Greg, please, uh, for the people who don't know, just take a second, uh, second to hit my listeners with a little bit about your background and what you do. So uh, my name is Greg Kelly. I host uh, Greg Kelly Reports on Newsmax TV, 10 p.m. Uh, Monday through Friday. And I also have a radio show on WABC. I've been in media for about 20 years. Uh, I started in very small local television in upstate New York. Uh, I embarked in media after serving nine years in the Marine Corps. I was a Harrier pilot, uh, got to go all over the world. I flew over Iraq, um, did some uh, really interesting things. It was a very important formative experience for me. And uh, let's see, I've been married for six years. And uh, my new book came out a few weeks ago, Justice for All, How the Left is Wrong About Law Enforcement. And uh, that's pretty much it. Um, And um, yeah, life is good. Yeah, great stuff. Yeah, we're going to jump into the book in just a second here. So being new into the game, three years into it. So how how old were you when you became a dad here? And how, so far, how has becoming a father changed your perspective on life? I guess I was 50, which is um, older than most fathers, obviously, uh, first-time fathers. Um, it made me much more focused. Um, it made me far more disciplined. I had been in the Marine Corps. I thought I was disciplined, but... You know, time is incredibly precious, uh, the time I get to spend with them, and also the time I get to work. I have to be so focused. I think it just makes you so mission-focused. To Biologically, we're designed to provide for these children, and I, I never had that kind of, you know, yeah, I wanted to work hard, do a good job, yeah, I have some money, but now it's survival depends on performance. So it's made me much more focused in a, not in a burdensome way. Um, and you know, today I just saw my daughter always makes a big fuss. We live in an apartment building and she wants to press the down button for me every time runs down the hall, presses the down button. Then she goes back and she's just joyous and she just runs back in. And I thought this is, uh, these are gifts from God. I mean, this is, obviously um 
I see God in everything, particularly in my children. It's there's just no denying it. Yeah, and there's there's no doubt about it, too, Greg. And uh, obviously, um, you know, we're going to jump into this book here in just a second. And I think, listen, right now, I, I think I talk about on this show all the time that we got a fatherless crisis going on in our country here. We have so many kids growing up without a father or without a father figure in their life. And I think that is the prime mover behind all this stuff we're seeing happening in our society, particularly the crime, the drugs, the suicide, uh, the teenage pregnancy, all of these things that are really uh, crippling our country. When you get to the heart of it, I think it's all stemming from the fact that our nuclear family has been broken down and the fact that so many kids are growing up, especially young boys who are growing up without that father, that strong male influence, because when they find it in the street, uh, I, I think that's why we're filling up our prison systems with these fatherless kids. So I wanted to get your take on that, and then we'll jump into the book here. Well, Alec, I agree with you a thousand percent. And actually, uh, that makes up a good chunk of my book. Um, fatherless, uh, the fatherless epidemic we have is, uh, you know, children growing up without a dad. That is a prime uh, driver of, uh, of crime. And I talk about it all the time. I write about it in my book. It's interesting. And I, 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 I don't want to assume anybody's politics here. OK, so I'll, um, this is apolitical somewhat. But there was a point where Barack Obama uh, stood boldly and back in 2008 before he became president, after he secured the nomination. And he said, look, you know, uh, AWOL fathers, absentee fathers, we have them in all communities. But he said out loud nowhere worse than in the African-American community. And he said, um, you know, absentee fathers, uh, too often it can lead to uh, not graduating from high school, it can lead to drug abuse, and it can lead to prison. And it's, it's kind of incontrovertible. There's so much data there, and it does affect all communities. And But that conversation about the importance of fathers somehow has just faded away. People like you, so important to have people like you. Uh, I'm trying to make a, a, a contribution with this book. But it's interesting that with his platform, with his status, with his power, Barack Obama, he could have he could have done so much. And the left, oh, by the way, after he made that speech, they said, we don't want to hear that anymore from you. Uh, Jesse Jackson actually threatened him with, I think, castration. He was caught on a microphone saying, He's talking down to us. We can't have that. And Barack Obama really never went there again in any serious way. Unfortunately, yeah, Greg, Greg, I, I quote from that. He was a Father's Day uh, speech that he gave. And I often quote from that. I'll play clips of it every once so often. It was such an important and powerful speech that he made. And you're right. It, it just vanished from his dialogue and we never were to be heard from again. And the epidemic has only gotten worse since 2008. It continues to climb up. And we're going to tie this all in here because your new book, Justice for All, how the left is wrong about law enforcement. Obviously, right now, law enforcement, policing, police brutality, the whole topic is a contentious issue right now in the country. Uh, people are sensitive about this whole thing. How does your book attack this? How is the left wrong about law enforcement? Well, they've been wrong about law enforcement for a very long time, but in this moment, we're seeing that their their mistakes are being sanctioned and adopted and approved of by mainstream culture. Now, Black Lives Matter, it's right in their mission statement. Uh, they stand for the abolishment of police. They want to abolish police. They want to abolish prisons. They want to abolish what they call the, the punishment paradigm, that these are all uh, leftovers of white supremacy and, and slavery. This is 
crazy. This is nonsense. But we've always had crazy people pushing crazy ideas. And that's fine. It's a free country. You can believe whatever you want. Um, but the problem really started, we saw signs of it in 2012, 2013, 2014. But in 2020, the complete overreaction to George Floyd's death, which was horrible, but the country went crazy. And you saw organizations that should know better, like the NFL, <laughs> uh, like Procter and Gamble, just say, okay, Black Lives Matter, this is an organization, they're decrying, fine, we'll put our logo, we're going to adopt every, yep, we're on board. They did it thoughtlessly. They didn't know what they were signing up for. And the things you mentioned, <laughs> uh, the nuclear family, Black Lives Matter is opposed to the nuclear family. And it's not just Black Lives Matter, because the, the, there are other radical groups out there, and they become so mainstream that somehow, you know, uh, uh, what do they call it, the patriarchy, you know? Your show, by the way, is about the patriarchy. Yeah. Like that, and, and I that, get that a lot. Bad. I mean, like, how could that? Yeah, we. This is. It's called civilization. Um, and suddenly, everything's in question. Everything is. So it's a crazy, crazy time. And people like you, humbly, I would suggest people like me. I'm. I'm proud, quite frankly, to be standing up, because a lot of folks get very uncomfortable about this. And as soon as the left starts shouting, they intimidate all kinds of people. Oh, I, I better not say anything. I'll get canceled. I'll get harassed online. My boss might say something. Uh, better to just keep my head down and go along with this nonsense or at least not oppose it. And I'm so glad, quite frankly, that we're in a place where we can say no. <laughs> uh, and, and, and Greg, to, to your point there, I, I think the same kind of hustle that was used with the Black Lives Matter or the same messaging was used kind of like we, we saw with the vaccine rollout. Uh, Pfizer and all these things, they kind of made you feel like you were a bad person. If you didn't, uh, if you didn't get the shot, you were going to kill your grandmother. You were, you were, you're hurting society. And it's, the Black Lives Matter messaging was more of the sense to say, if you don't support this, you're obviously a racist. So it was more like, well, I, I do support the idea that Black Lives Matter. So you were, you were kind of lured into this whole thing of like, oh, of course we're for that. And it was a sucker game the entire time to bring you in. This was obviously a socialist Marxist agenda. The founders of this thing, oh, Openly admitted that they are studiers of Marx. You mentioned it right there. Your open mission statement blatantly was against the nuclear family, which they had to remove because they were getting so much blowback just from within their own community saying, wait a second, we're not for this. We're for black lives, but we're not for this kind of stuff. Uh, so we did see that kind of pushback. But we just had obviously this uh, the, this big thing was with the, the Tyree Nichols. Uh, with the black cops that were beating this kid, caught on video like so many of them are, everybody jumped on it. And now, despite the fact that it was all black cops on a black suspect, we're still hearing the things from the CNNs that even though everybody was black, there still uh, is racism involved. What was it? Van Jones. Uh, they might still have been driven by racism. So I, I think people aren't they seeing through the messaging like, wait a second here. How can we be this gullible and, and hustled by this kind of messaging? And, and that, I think, is what we're seeing from the left, where they're forcing this. They want you to hate police and believe they're systematically racist. Or is the police department systematically racist? And what's your take on this? Well, um, you beautifully summarized, you know, uh, but the hustle is working. It's working again. They're at it again. So obviously this wasn't racist. I mean, and that's one of the reasons why the country didn't burn down over the weekend. I mean, if there were five white cops doing that to a black man, I mean, by the way, what happened, I do believe was murder. <laughs> it just, I, I, I cannot believe what they did 
to this man, Tyree Nichols. It's it's it boggles the mind. It's not racist. However, for the hard left, they'll say the police department is inherently racist. It was um, born out of uh, uh, the slave patrol. This is what the 1619 project says. Now that's absurd. Oh, by the way, that there's no basis. In fact, just about everything the 1619 project came up with is wrong, wrong in fact. And law enforcement is not, uh, can't be traced to uh, slavery. It is just preposterous. So, but they're pushing this notion that somehow it's inherently, it's a, it's a white supremacy organization. So to, as a member of it, you are inherently racist, no matter what your race is. Now it's crazy town stuff. They're out there pushing this. I saw on TV yesterday, a person comes up and says, well, we need the breathe act. We need this. We need that. And like you said a moment ago, some of it sounds reasonable. Black lives matter. What could be wrong with that? Uh, nothing except <laughs> except the fine print. And then anyway, this person started talking about the Breathe Act and we need the Breathe Act. And, and the host was like, well, thank you very much for coming. You gotta look at this Breathe Act. Line one, we must abolish the police. We must defund this. We, so in this moment, they're actually moving the needle. They're actually, and it's fascinating. It's It's a lower grade version of what happened in 2020, but in its own way, it's more effective because people are even more reluctant to try to put it in proportion. You know what I mean? Okay, horrible crime, but are we really going to cancel cops? Are we really going to now uh, uh, say all to all, all these aggressive anti-crime units across the country that they must be disbanded? The answer, unfortunately, is yes. Okay, they had a problem in Memphis. That doesn't mean we have a problem in Detroit, but that's how it's going down. And, and Greg, just as with, uh, you know, the nuclear family being under attack, which I believe is totally by design, uh, the race game is it, we or the, the racism stuff is being uh, by design as well. They want us apart because there was just recently this kid, uh, uh, Kevin Hersey, I don't know if I'm saying the name right, in Redding, California, uh, who police were, were beating this guy. Uh, I, I don't know if you've seen the, the clip of this guy, but there was like four or five cops kicking this guy in the face while he was down with a canine dog that was chewing yeah. on the guy. And I, if you go to CNN's Twitter and you look through their tweets and you search their tweets, the name doesn't even show up. Like, they don't even cover it. So it's like, yeah, we, we all understand that, yes, there are bad police officers that are out there. No one disputes that. They're, you're going to find that in every single organization that there is. But be transparent about it. Be against all police brutality, not just this one specific thing that you're trying. We're all trying to get a grip on this. Let's at least be honest about the conversation and stop with the hustling, with the race stuff to keep making it all about that. And I think that's what's uh, turning so many people off. And I would argue that stopping so many good people who could potentially be phenomenal police officers from ever even considering a career in law enforcement because of all this stuff going on. What is your take on the, uh, especially for parents out there that have kids right now that are in high school that are hoping to become a law enforcement officer? What do you say to those parents right now with those kids that have them dreams? Well, I don't know if they have those dreams anymore. I I, I feel like uh, that's just, it's, it's the last thing anybody wants to do. It's probably the last thing I would recommend my daughters consider. Number one, they're, they're women. I mean, I, there are great female law enforcement officers. I know actually one of them, I, but I, uh, it, it wouldn't be my first choice. But now, uh, are you kidding? I mean, not only do you, not only was it a tough job to begin with, but now there's a, there's a damn good chance you're going to be arrested 
or at least, you know, have uh, be disrespected in the street as you're executing your job. You know, you said something interesting, though, about, you know, every profession has problems and we know that. But it's only the police where they actually in kind of question the the legitimacy of the entire profession. You know, on a on a minute by minute basis, almost on an hourly basis, you can go to the New York or any newspaper in the country. And there's a story about some teacher hooking up with some student. I mean, it happens all the time. It's just, and people read those stories for some reason, but it happens all the time. No one's talking about, uh, we need to have homeschooling for now on. No one's talking about getting rid of schools. You know, every time um, we go to war as a country, there are war crimes. It's one of the reasons why their war is to be avoided unless it's absolutely necessary, but it happens. And innocent people die in combat, but we still do it. Um, but generally speaking, we understand that we need a military and no one's really calling for reform of the military. And uh, there's example after example like that. And, uh, it's interesting though, Black Lives Matter, they only seem to really care when the, the life taken is a, um, is a black life taken by a white cop. That's the textbook example. It's one of the reasons why that, that kid in California, and I saw it with a dog, I have no idea what was going on there, oh, by the way, and he was tumbling around in a white sheet. I have very confusing um, images, but it's not significant because of the racial factor. Yeah, 100%. And it's easy. It's kind of easy when you take kind of your uh, political goggles off or your racial goggles off and you just look at what is happening. It's pretty obvious to see the narrative that's being pushed. I mean, you don't have to be a, a, a real, you know, kind of like a con man or something to figure this out. It's it's pretty obvious the stories that they're pushing. And when you talk about we, we always hear the rhetoric, um, defund the police, dismantle the police. And people will say more police don't prevent crime. They'll say it's the poverty that's creating the, the, the crime. And we have to do something about the poverty. Well, we cannot have the poverty conversation unless we have the fatherless crisis conversation, because the overwhelming majority of kids that are living under the poverty level are coming from single mom households. So you can't have the they don't want to have that conversation about single moms or fatherless households. They want to have the poverty conversation. But it is impossible to have that poverty conversation unless we talk about restoring the nuclear family, getting dads back in the home. And then we could start to talk about all these other things. But the try to skip over that and attack poverty is completely baseless. Yeah, it's interesting. And you talk about having a conversation. You know, I, I've been hearing that a lot over the past couple of days in particular and over the past couple of, we need to have a conversation about race in America. We need to have a conversation about law enforcement. And it's interesting, uh, who, the, those who normally say that are on the left and they really don't want to have a conversation. They want to, they want to lecture us about you know what's right you know you really can't raise these issues uh, uh, uh mainstream media cnn that kind of thing this is this is oh my goodness gracious they they, they just it, it this is a conversation closer this is this is where they they go to commercial and they cut your mic they don't want a conversation genuinely about these issues and i know what the left has said you know like as you mentioned well we have to address poverty and and back to the breathe act that that will require money we need money 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 you know it's interesting, all the trillions of dollars that have been spent on poverty programs, and it really went into uh, overdrive in the in the 1960s. Trillions and trillions of dollars spent. And in the 1960s, fatherlessness in the black community was about on par where it is in the white community, about 25%. And now it's at 75%. The money is not helping. As a matter of fact, I, I say this in the book, it looks like we have 
uh, disincentivize fatherhood with all the money that's flowing around. Uh, the government will take the place of the father. Right. Yeah. And, and that's it. We've replaced parents with programs and it can't be done. And, and it's something that uh, there's many different causes of this. Uh, one of them being that you've had women become married to the government. Well, also the uh, divorce court, family court system in this country. The number one email I get from dads across the country is how they got raked over the coals uh, going to family court. They, they don't even get a fair shake when it comes to that. But that, that's a whole another discussion. I want to get back to your book, Justice for All, How the Left is Wrong About Law Enforcement. We got to find some solution sets here, too, Greg, when we're talking about this stuff. Now, I had Mayor Rudy Giuliani on the podcast. I spoke to him a few times about this stuff. Obviously, he, too, took New York City uh, from it was a shithole and turned it into, uh, you know, a much safer place for families to live and thrive and, and work and, and, and live in once again. And he did that through the broken windows policy. We all lived through that and watched it right now. Uh, Mayor Adams has the helm. We've seen what's happening in New York with the Alvin Bragg. It's been a disaster. New New York, once again, has become a scummy place to take your family. It's one of those places you don't want to have to walk through the city at night with your kids. Uh, so what do we do now? Do you talk about solution sets, uh, injustice for all, especially con containing it here maybe to New York or to the inner cities? How do we get this thing back to good where we have a common trust between the citizens and the police officers again? Well, look, I, I do have some suggestions in the book, um, but, you know, I, I, I'm up front. I, yes, I was in the military. I flew jets, but I'm not a law enforcement professional. I'm a keen observer of things, I like to say. And my father uh, was one of the greatest law enforcement officials uh, this history, this country ever produced. Ray Kelly, longest serving police commissioner in New York City history. In fact, the book is dedicated uh, to him. And, you know, it's amazing when he left office in 2014, January 1st, 2014, after 12 years as police commissioner, his personal approval rating in New York City was right around 72 percent, which show me a public official who was that popular leading a police department in this city, which is majority minority. It's they were so crazy good at law enforcement and the public understood that and appreciated that. We had the left come in and ruin it on purpose, on purpose. Uh, and you can do that now, uh, by the way. Uh, it's not as though 8 million people uh, voted for de Blasio or voted for Eric Adams, who's a fraud, by the way, and I go into that in my book. Um, the way New York is set up, you only have to appeal to a very, very small sliver of the population on primary day, which, oh, by the way, is the last day of school in June. <laughs> you think this is designed for maximum voter participation? It's not. Um, so we know how to do this. We know broken windows works. We know we know uh, what good law enforcement looks like. It's not brain science. It's not that hard, um, or brain surgery, I should say, brain science. But um, one, two, three quick things I recommend in the book, and they're 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 rather quaint. Uh, but number one, we have to get better at talking about race. And I'm by we, I mean conservatives uh, or anybody. I'll throw liberals in here. If you believe in the Constitution, if you believe America is a pretty good place to live or used to be, we have to get comfortable talking about race because people on the left, they're dictating the conversation and you have to play by their rules. And if you don't talk about it, you're not fluent in it. You can get tripped up really quick and you just keep quiet. That's one thing. Number two, and this sounds very corny. But writing letters, you know, everybody's tweeting, everybody's emailing, everybody is uh, sounding off on uh, on Facebook. When you write a letter with ink 
and send it to a member of Congress, things actually start to happen. It gets noticed, it gets replied to. Anybody listening, if you want, you can write to your congressman and ask for a meeting. Nine times out of 10, you'll get it. And the last thing I say in the book is, um, as far as recommendations, as much as we revere law enforcement, and we do, we have to understand that law enforcement works for us, all right? It's a public service. We respect them, we admire them, but they work for us. And what I saw in the aftermath of January 6th and the way those Capitol Hill cops were used, I don't know if they realized how badly they were used, but they were used and they're up there and they're hysterical and they're shouting at lawmakers and you know, uh, demanding that they behave in a certain way. This her- That's fascism. Unelected people in uniform who are armed, yelling at democratically elected officials and those democratically democratically elected officials caving, folding, retreating. That's fascism. And we don't want that. Yeah, no doubt about that. Justice for all. How the left is wrong about law enforcement. The link to the book is in the description of this podcast episode. And and one of the things you say, we got to have this discussion about race. I've had quite a few uh, different black fathers on the podcast here had this discussion about because we usually hear that from the from the black community. They have to have the talk uh, with their kids. The talk being that uh, if you get pulled over, you're going to be pulled over and pursued because you're black, because of your skin color. The police are out to get you. Uh, so when you get pulled over, there's a chance you might get killed. And they have the rhetoric as if like if you were just walking down the street while being black, you have a good opportunity of being shot by a police officer, uh, which is totally false. And so that narrative is being pushed so much uh, uh, about the racial game where I have, you know, kids that are going to be driving now. My oldest is 16. And so we're going through these conversations about driving and when you get pulled over. And I would think. More of it leads to just common sense, whether you, you, you're you driving, you don't think you were driving too fast, but got pulled over for speeding. The way that you engage with the officer immediately upon him pulling you over is going to set the tone for this entire exchange. If you say, hey, what are you doing? Why are you pulling me over? You have this attitude. It's not going to go well. But if you say, hey, what, was I going a little too fast there, officer? Or you start out the tone. It's going to change the course of that. That's my look at it as, as a dad. I know your kids are a while away yet from being able to get behind the wheel, but what advice do you have for parents out there for kids like like myself who are just about to start driving and they get into a situation with the police? What do you tell the kids? You know, number one, I don't I don't believe that that rhetoric uh, about the talk. I've been hearing it a lot. I, I played it on the show last night. Uh, Fifty people saying we have to have the talk. Bill de Blasio has to have the talk with Dante because he's black and he has to be really it's human nature. If you're law abiding to respect law enforcement, you know what I mean? To, you know, hey, what are you doing? You know, obviously you don't do that. And if that talk is really happening, why are so many people flipping off the cops? Why are so many people resisting? We have delegitimized the cops. We have reduced their authority to the point where you, you have no, you shouldn't be stuck. I'll say this about Tyree Nichols. And again, what happened to him should not have happened. My God, I noticed some resistance he's on the ground but he doesn't want to be prone on the ground he seems to be sitting up he's not offering his hands um but the penalty for that is not death though by the way okay it's not so but there was some resistance and the talk should be don't resist don't resist i i uh but i i think that's a cute political talking point about the talk 
because uh, I've seen no evidence that it's actually happening. And, and Greg, um, just, just to just to jump Greg, in there just, uh, on you, that with, with the, those cops that were involved in this Tyree Nichols, it, it kind of almost looked like these guys. If you watch this whole thing, which was like a you know forty minutes of, of videotape, these guys seemed like almost like the Keystone cops. Like they're not talking to each other in like a professional police matter. They're talking to each other. Uh, like they're uh, just, uh, you know, uh, friends. Like, like they don't sound like they're professionals. They sound, it sounds like they're joking with one another. They're out of breath almost immediately. They don't seem like, and I know a few of them were hired after this whole reform the police thing. And I, I would imagine it's got to be getting, I mean, who's in their right mind would want to be a police officer in Memphis. So I would imagine the bar has to be very low to hire police officers. But just from watching the video, these guys didn't look like they were professional. They, they're five huge guys. They, they, they could to handle uh this this kid they couldn't they, they couldn't contain this kid how, how could this even be possible i'm watching this saying this almost not not there's nothing comical about it but they're kind of joking with one they sprayed each other in the face with mace one of them tased themselves like what the hell was going on like where who's training these guys it's a great observation uh total incompetence is what i saw i mean the, after the initial uh, after they initially pull him over and and they they remove him from the car and they're swarming him at one point, I, Tyree Nichols, I tell you what, he was, he said to them, you guys are saying a lot of things right now yeah. because they, they were overwhelming him. Like, you, know, like you, you can't comply with everything they were saying. And then five guys and he gets away. He got away. Uh, they could not affect an arrest. So incredible incompetence. Uh, yes, I'm hearing now that they may have even allowed uh, felony convictions in the past of some police officers. A report today, I didn't know that, and I'm still checking that out. Obviously, the standards have gone out the window. It's very hard to find cops, but you're absolutely right. It was, um, and I did notice this. Actually, my father pointed it out. It was a very long time, 20 minutes go by before the ambulance gets there, and he's noticed no radio car. You'll notice they're all unmarked cars. There's no Memphis police car with the sirens going. That indicates to him that they kept this away from supervisors. They may have had their own discrete frequency. This may have been something personal. Uh, who knows? But they wanted to, it looks like, keep it off the radar of their higher ups. Yeah, no, there's something was off about the way this. I mean, they came at that kid as if he just shot up a school. I mean, they came at that kid hardcore. Uh, you would think he was armed to the teeth or something the way that they did it. But anyway, um, a, a lot going on. I, I, I pray that we can somehow come to some kind of a, a agreement once again between the citizens of this country and law enforcement. I respect law enforcement as a father, as a family man. Uh, I, I know that we we need law enforcement. We don't have a chance in this country without them. Uh, just the same with our military. And I thank you for your service uh, and, and for your fathers as well. I, I, I loved your dad as the police commissioner. Wish we had him back in New York again. Uh, so l let's close this out here again. Uh, justice for all. How the left is wrong about law enforcement. Link in the description of the podcast episode. Last thing I'm going to hit you with here, Greg. Love to ask all the dads that I get on the podcast. What type of advice do you have for that new dad or for that about to be father who's out there listening? Wow, I still feel like a new dad myself, you know, but uh, and, and, and one of the words that I hear my daughter say a lot these days is she says two things. Where are you going, daddy? And she says, where were you, daddy? Which, you know, I mean, like, I'm, I'm gone a lot, but I've done something. Um, I always try to spend time with him in the morning. Um, you know, okay, this is it. Um, what is something? Look, I can just go back to 
and I haven't been able to do this with my own daughters yet, but my father, his example, you know, we talked a lot. Uh, he did not have a lot of um, external obligations apart from work. It was the family. We spent a lot of time together. We talked, we watched TV. I went on errands with him. And uh, during those conversations, I learned a lot from him. And uh, also, I guess, leadership by example. I mean, I don't want my kids to take up drinking. I never saw my father drink. I never saw my father smoke. I never saw my father raise his voice. And those are some of the things that I would like to be. He's helped me. I haven't been perfect in any of those things, by the way. Um, but it was he set me up for success. And any 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 mistakes anywhere I've fallen short, that's on me. So perhaps I got to go to my father that that is they're watching you. I know right now they're watching me, you know, and they're they're mental notes and we're creating them. And I'm very just I'm a little bit concerned about the phone. You know what I mean? And I, I am consciously trying to not have them see me on the phone, which is tricky. <laughs> so it's a work in progress, Alec. Yeah, no doubt about that. I love the message. Uh, this has been an honor for me. I got to say, Greg Kelly, you're a first class father all the way. And thank you so much for taking a few minutes of your time here to join me on First Class Fatherhood. Uh, Alec, thank you so much. What a pleasure. And to be continued, sir. All right. You have been listening to First Class Fatherhood. Please visit www.firstclassfatherhood.com to find out more details. You can order First Class Fatherhood advice and wisdom from high profile dads on Amazon.com or wherever books are sold. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Proverbs 22.6 tells us, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will never depart from it. God bless, and I'll catch you next time.